Brought to you by the WZIP sports team, this is Sports Power Talk Overtime. Featuring in-depth interviews. I didn't really plan to ask this, but since you brought it up, what's it like kind of having like your own meme? Like, how does that make you feel? <laughs> Exclusive original content. He crosses paths with another best in the world. Oh, that gets you excited, don't it? Oh, that gets me excited. And of course, the hottest takes. My dad used to have this saying, if you don't like the series, you don't like football. Well, like- I say I'm a pretty big football fan, and I despise the <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> so get ready, because it's time for SPT Overtime. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of SBT Overtime. I'm your host, Dan Groen, and I'm joined by my co-host, Pat Weber. What's going on, everyone? And we have a very special guest on our episode this week. He is a two-time former Columbus Blue Jacket, also played for the Pittsburgh Penguins, Edmonton Oilers, and the Winnipeg Jets, and now is an assistant coach for the AHL's Cleveland Monsters. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Letestu. Coach, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Oh, thanks, Dan. Pat, good to, uh, good to have a chat today. This is really cool right now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like trying up the fanboy, but you were probably one of my favorite players to watch growing up on the Blue Jackets, and there's just like a really cool experience right now. No, I, I appreciate that. Usually I only get those reactions from family members, so uh, the fact that I got it from a stranger actually means quite a bit to me, so I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, you're a fan favorite for sure. Um, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Before we talk about your playing career, I just want to ask, what inspired you to get into hockey growing up? Man, it might, might just be being Canadian. Uh, you know, that's, that's a very broad stroke. Uh, my, my dad didn't play. Uh, just his upbringing, there wasn't wasn't a lot of cash flowing around the house that uh, he could get to where he needed to go to play. Uh, so probably my dad, uh, he gave me and my brother every opportunity to play. Kind of the, the typical Canadian upbringing, flooded backdoor rink. Uh, and we, I watched every game I could. I was a big Montreal Canadiens fan. Uh, and we watched in the French, French channel. Uh, it was either English, the Maple Leafs, or, or French watching the Habs. And I love the Habs so much that even if I didn't understand it, Mm-hmm. It was just, it was enough for me to watch it. And, you know, lifelong Habs fan, I'd probably watch 75 games a year if I could. It, it was just obsessed with it. Uh, and uh, being, and, and, sorry, uh, being from Alberta, yeah. did you ever like the Edmonton Oilers? I, I truthfully, I didn't. Uh, all my oh, friends okay. did in high school. <laughs> I married into it more than anything. My, my, yeah. uh, my in-laws are a huge Oilers fan, season ticket holders. So it was a big thrill for them. But no, I wasn't an Oilers fan until I was one. So you played collegiate hockey for one year at Western Michigan and also being from Canada, what made you choose to play college hockey in the United States as opposed to playing in the Canadian hockey league? Yeah, I wasn't good enough, you know, to be, to be honest with you. Uh, I tried out as a 16 year old, uh, 17 year old at, I think it was Lethbridge and Moose Jaw, and I just wasn't good enough. Uh, and once that door kind of closes, the only way to really progress yourself beyond uh, is to go college. I played tier two in Bonneville near my hometown and, was lucky enough to get a scholarship to go to Western. Uh, and that, and that really was the spot that springboarded me towards actually thinking I was going to be a pro hockey player. I was, I was going to school to be an accountant. I had no dreams of being, you know, an NHL player, but uh, a little bit of success led one thing led to another and, and I got an opportunity, which was great. Awesome. So um, after college, you ended up going undrafted in 2007 before eventually being signed by the Pittsburgh Penguins from there, you bounced between Wilkes-Barre Scranton of the AHL and the Wheeling Nailers of the ECHL. 
And then before long, you became a full-time NHL player, really becoming a staple for every organization that you've played in. I think that's a truly remarkable underdog story. So uh, how would you describe that journey from going from some unknown prospect to being a household name in the NHL? Uh, lucky, lucky uh, opportunity. Uh, you know, even becoming a full-time NHLer, it took, you know, uh, Malkin to tear an ACL and Sydney to have a serious brain injury and Jordan Stahl had his foot stepped on and tore ligaments. So I, I was last man standing. Uh, and to be honest, to get that opportunity to show that I could play uh, probably helped more than anything because, you know, a year later, those three guys came back and I got traded to Columbus. It was just a little too crowded in Pittsburgh, but uh, it's funny, just the, the opportunity I got was, is more luck than anything and being ready, uh, you know, credit my coaches, uh, making sure I was ready for when that opportunity came and then, uh, kind of running with it, but household name is, uh, that's generous. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I played, played a long time, had a good career, but household names, it's the first time I've ever been told that. So I, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone who I've told like, Hey, I'm interviewing Mark Latestu, everyone's, you know, their faces lit up. So you're definitely well known around here. Um, when you got to the NHL, did you have any sort of welcome to the NHL moment? Well, I just remember my first game. Uh, we were playing the the Boston Bruins, and you're, you're just again. I talked earlier. I was a fan. I was a huge fan of the game. Uh, but seeing Zdeno Chara across the red line and how big and imposing he was 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 a little bit. You just can't truly grasp it until you see it live. You know, you see on TV, he's bigger than everybody, but then you see like he's, you know, WWE wrestler size, he's huge. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, former teammate later on, Andrew Ference, he was so small. So I was like, ah, you know, I'm the same size as these guys. So it was, it was just cool to be in warm up, rubbing shoulders with those guys. And obviously Sid uh, being who he was in the locker room with me, it was pretty surreal. So you play with a lot of like big household names. Um, for example, like you said, Sidney Crosby. Um, I also know that you played alongside like Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, when you're playing alongside names like that, how do you think the chemistry has to work in order for the team to flow properly? Like, is there any big step up uh, from team to team or depending on the player? Yeah, I mean, the, I guess the one thing when it, when it comes to that kind of stuff, uh, they're teammates. And as you said, you're playing alongside them. Sure. There's a, there's a hierarchy to the roles and, and to the, you know, how much responsibility certain players take on in a game, but ultimately they're, they're your friends, they're your teammates. Uh, and we treat them that way. They're not, uh, they're not on that pedestal in the room. You can still, you know, take shots at them like you would your friend. And, uh, and they appreciate that, you know, they get treated and put on a pedestal and kind of everyday society. So, as you said, Sid, uh, I got him early in my career. So it was interesting to see, you know, just how he treated me. I was older than him, but because he'd won a Stanley cup already, there's this strange dynamic, but, uh, you know, he treated me with such respect coming in and Bob, you know, became a pretty good friend of mine. And then later on in my career, I got to play three years with Connor McDavid in his first three years of his career and, and be around to kind of help guide him a little bit. Uh, so I got to see, uh, different franchise and generational players and talents at different times of their career. And i uh, pretty fortunate to have got to an experience that. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you about um, what it was like to kind of mentor Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl uh, later on. But um, right now I kind of want to talk about your first time here in Columbus. You were here twice. Did you ever imagine that you were going to spend most of your hockey here in Ohio at the time of that trade? 
No, no. To be honest, it was it was just the place I was getting traded to. Uh, you know, I was actually kind of fortunate. It was only three hours up the road from Pittsburgh, so it was a, it was a quick drive. But uh, when I first got there, the team was in a tough spot. I think they just lost eight to two to maybe Philadelphia the night before, and they come off this mini training camp, and and everybody was pretty miserable. Um, but I liked it right away. I, I don't know what it is about the Midwest and, and Columbus itself. I just, I've always been at home there. Uh, that's why I'm, if I don't have to, I won't leave. I, I love living there. I love raising my family there. Uh, and one of my more proud moments was coming back after a trade to come back to Columbus. I was excited to get on the plane. Uh, so it, you never, it never goes the way you draw it up. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I just, I was, I was just, for whatever reason, uh, I just end up keep coming back. You know, we, we keep finding, finding each other, I guess. Yeah. Did you feel you fit more in Columbus than you did in Pittsburgh, just given how crowded, like you said, that room was in Pittsburgh and then you came here to Columbus where it was a little more struggling. Did you feel you fit here a little better? Well, I think there was more opportunity at the time. Uh, you know, I was, I was pretty fortunate that Pittsburgh, you know, was the organization I grew up in the habits, you know, everybody, I was around, I was just exposed to so many good players and, and that helped really bring me up as a player in the league. But, you know, I'd probably outgrown it a little bit. And uh, as you said, center ice is, is loaded. You know, those guys, I think you add up all their draft positions. I think you're at five, you know, with the three guys there. So it, it was just time to move on. And, you know, I got to play with Rick Nash in a, in a prominent role. And uh, it was just a good fit. It was just a good fit in the right time for me to, to kind of, expand what I was as an NHL player. Right. So the Blue Jackets, their first ever playoff win was in 2014 against the Pittsburgh Penguins. So what was that like to go up against the team that drafted you up in the playoffs? Yeah. And for me, it was really the start of the rivalry that Columbus Blue Jacket fans know now. Um, and and playoffs are always built or, or sorry rivalries are always built around playoffs it's just that's that's the way it is and that was our first taste of it uh, my first taste of it you know they'd previously been swept by the red wings but just to get back there and finally earn it with that group felt pretty good and then you know you're going up against your old team uh, they got the better of us but to win a couple games uh to feel the kind of electricity nationwide arena had the potential there and now uh you know it's funny to go as a spectator as as part of the front office the staff it's the buildings as good as any as far as atmosphere in the league and that's credit to the players and the fans that continue to show up uh but that was really for me the first time that i'd get to see you know the fifth line and, and truly you know really take hold of their nickname we know that you've bounced around the league quite a bit, and uh, this is kind of directed towards Columbus. Um, out of all the arenas that you've had the opportunity to play in, what do you think is the most electric arena and has the best atmosphere out of all the teams in the league? Well, and you know, and I mentioned Columbus playoff time. Uh, it, it gets rocking. Uh, again, in Edmonton was my hometown kind of area team was our first time in the playoffs in 11 years. You could tell there was some electricity there and maybe some pent up disappointment that that people got to to cheer away. Uh, But recently, I don't know that there's a better atmosphere in the league than what Vegas is is able to put together right now. Uh, And it's funny, they lean into the little night slaying the dragon before the game and everybody gets a, 
gets gets a kick out of that. It, it, it's fun. It's fun. Everybody goes there to have a good time. Uh, and I would recommend to any hockey fan, sports fan to catch a game there. It's, it's truly, uh, it's truly a fun experience. And uh, going back to Edmonton, did you sign there after you became a free agent uh, the first time in Columbus? Did you sign there uh, just because that was your hometown team or was that just purely from a uh, more business perspective? Yeah, there, there was options. Uh, You know, I would say it was probably a business decision. Uh, I wanted to come back to Columbus. It just didn't work out. Uh, We just couldn't come together on, whether it was money or term or, or my role, it, j- it just wasn't going to fit anymore. Uh, so that was disappointing. A lot of tears uh, in the family house that day, uh, but got a great opportunity to go home. Uh, and it wasn't something I was looking to do. It just kind of matched up that way. I think uh, Scott Housen, who was the previous GM in Columbus, was then working for Edmonton. And, you know, whether he had any input, uh, the deal came together pretty quick. And, you know, the car gets packed and off you go. And, and it was it was a good move for us. Uh, again, I got to experience a lot of fun stuff. And playing at home is something almost everybody should experience at least one time. For sure. Uh, so after Edmonton, you ended up returning to Columbus in 2017, uh, just around the time of their playoff run against the Washington Capitals, who would end up winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, what was the locker room like at that time? And what was it like to play for John Tortorella and Brad Larson? Yeah, it's funny. The uh, that trade, just the way it came together. I thought I was going to Nashville, uh, mm. but it turned out I got flipped to Columbus, and I was I, I was crazy excited about. It. I had a home there already. Uh, knew that I was coming home. Uh, it was actually my first game back. I scored. That was the last goal I ever scored in the league. Uh, I didn't know it was going to be my last, but it's probably one of my favorite, uh, just because the way the crowd reacted when I got on the ice and the goal, and it, it was it was really special for me. Uh, but I think we went 20 and two or, or some sort of crazy record down the stretch. And we had, we were, we were playing well. Uh, so I got, I got the best towards There wasn't a mad, mad bone in his body. All we did was win. Uh, but I respect the hell out of him and Brad uh, as coaches and, and what they bring. And uh, we had a good club. We just couldn't get it done. Uh, got the first two games and then uh, Washington just, they, they caught a heater and obviously took them all the way to the Stanley cup. Right. So, a year later, you ended up spending, you were sent down to Cleveland for most of the season and took on more of a leadership role uh, with the Monsters. Uh, I got to ask, what are some of the big differences between between playing at the NHL level versus playing at the American League level? Well, there's certainly the consistency uh, with which the guys play with. I think that, that probably separates the players. Uh, there's a... There's a pace of game in the NHL that's a little bit higher. Uh, it's a little bit more structured. Uh, but the separation in talent and ability really isn't as big as you think it is, uh, or maybe it seems like. And I think that's why we've been able, you know, Trey flick has gone up and scored a goal in his debut, and, and Brennan Gaunt's has scored recently. And you can see guys contribute right away. Uh, but the consistency of the players, to me, is the biggest uh, detractor. Uh, and maybe you don't see that as a fan, uh, but that's what kind of holds most of these guys back. Uh, but, but it was a fun year to come back. I, I had a great time. We had a good team. Won a playoff round the same year that the Jackets beat out the Lightning. Uh, same thing. We just couldn't get it done the second round. After that, you ended up signing with the Winnipeg Jets. And 
During that short stint, you became renowned for something that I've never seen before. You probably know where I'm going with this. You would eat mustard packets as a way to prevent muscle cramps. How did this come to be? Like, how did you find out about this and how effective is it? Well, so I, I was always a pickle juice guy. It was always <laughs> something like that. Cause I, I do cramp. I, I don't know what it is. And um, mm. it was a second exhibition game in Edmonton. And I just looked down the bench and asked Rob Millette, the, uh, the equipment coach, but he get pickle juice. And he's like, listen, we don't have pickle juice, uh, but the guys here use mustard and they, they seem to like it. And so he threw one at me, uh, crushed it. Didn't think much of it. Didn't taste great, but you wash it down and it did. It took away the cramping. So it was like perfect. And then come to the locker room, my phone is just on fire. And I'm like, what? Like I didn't, <laughs> didn't score. Nothing happened. But then everybody's sending me that. So the one time I got caught with mustard on the uh, bench, okay. became the mustard guy. And I had a Toronto deli send me mustard and it became a thing. But uh, yeah, it works. It works. And if yeah. you don't mind mustard, it's, it's not a bad thing. Have you ever thought about doing some sort of like sponsorship with uh, Heinz or anything? Hey, my, my door is always open. You know? <laughs> Come on, Heinz, let's go. Right. So um, on, a, on a more serious note, um, in your time in Winnipeg, you were diagnosed with myocarditis. I believe I'm saying that right, which is yeah. an inflammation of the heart causing you to pretty much step away from the game. What were some of the thoughts and emotions going through your head when you were diagnosed with this, knowing that it might be the end of your playing career? Yeah, well, and I, I remember getting called to the, the trainer's office just, and I'd had a couple follow-up exams after the, the exit physical with the heart stuff, and it wasn't anything serious. But he called me in, and the doctor sat me down, told me I had myocarditis, and I don't know what that is. I'd, I'd never heard of it, and I asked how long I'd be out, and he said six months. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, what? You know, what are we doing? Uh, but he explained to me what it was, and and just that at some point I must've gotten sick and a virus attacks the, the walls of your heart and causes inflammation and puts you a little bit of risk. So, the, and it's funny, the, the diet or the treatment for it is just rest. You just don't do anything. I was allowed to work out, but I had to be able to say a sentence at all times. So you never really get your heart rate up. I got sent to the Mayo clinic and essentially just sat around for six months, uh, waiting for the inflammation to kind of dissipate. So that's all I did. Uh, what it did though, is it gave me six months at home. The jets were great about it. They sent me home right away. They knew I had a young family. Uh, and it got me kind of a, a quick glimpse into what retired life might be like, how I might fit in with my family after the playing time was done. And I got an opportunity to come back in the playoffs. I didn't play, but got ramped all the way back up, but, uh, just wasn't meant to be. Uh, and to be honest, my career was probably near an end anyway. So it's a convenient excuse for the end, but I think, you know, I might've been done anyway. So you've spent a long time playing at the professional level, like we were talking about, and now you're an assistant coach right up I-77 with the Cleveland Monsters. What's it like to be behind the bench now, and how different is it from playing out there with everyone else? Yeah, it's stressful. It's stressful. Uh, there's, uh, there's just something about not being able to put the gear on and do it yourself that kind of leaves you a little bit helpless and a little bit anxious, where as a player, you just throw it on, you go play and, you know, whatever happens, happens. But as, as a coach, you're always wondering if you could have done something different, if you could have helped somebody a little bit more. Uh, but it's the payoff is amazing. I think uh, when you finally get to see a player go up and realize his dreams and you got to be 
maybe just a footnote on that. Uh, it's there, there, I get it. I get it. Why coaches love it. Um, the winning and the losing and being part of it is, is a hell of a lot of fun. And even the team within the team, you know, your coaching staff, uh, you feel like you go to, you don't go to battle the same way, but you're right there with the guys and it's the closest thing that you can get to, to playing at, at, at our, at the, what our body will let us do. So uh, what challenges do you think COVID has placed on you as a coach and then on the team over the past couple of seasons? Yeah, COVID's been tough, man. It's, uh, it's affected so many people. And, you know, when we're just talking professionally, uh, your roster changes nonstop and uh, the holes you got to plug with guys that are gone for, you know, 10 days at a time. It's, it's, it's like having injuries that are, you, you don't play to get them, you know, you just, you just catch it and all of a sudden you're out for 10 days. So it, it, there was challenges all the time uh, with guys coming in and out and trying to put together a lineup to win and then logistically with meetings and keeping everybody informed. Uh, so it, it's a credit to, to the staff, especially the trainers, uh, what they have to go through with the testing and getting everybody coordinated in the travel plans. They're, they're the true, uh, you know, the cogs that, that make the machine work, but as coaches, it's, yeah, you make it a bigger deal than it is. Sometimes you just get guys out there and, and things work and uh, yeah, would have been easier without it. Let's, let's say that. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, so the monsters had almost a complete over roster overhaul a few seasons ago, and initially it did pay off. It would finish second in the division in a shortened 2021 season, but now they've kind of taken a big step and are at the bottom looking up in the standing. So even though you still have a lot of the same core of young talented players as last year. Why do you think this team has kind of taken a step back? And um, what do you think it'll take uh, to get the season back on track now that we're heading into the home stretch? Yeah, I think there's, there's a few uh, reasons for that. I think uh, first of all, comparing last season to this is, is apples to giraffes. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's last year's season. Everybody had a taxi squad of, of six players. Mm-hmm would have been in the NHL that really would probably make up your top, you know, 20% of this league, your best players. Uh, so some of the performances, some of the guys had was against probably a week in competition. Uh, and then you come back with those expectations and maybe uh, the results aren't there and it sometimes can be difficult to handle. Uh, but I feel like we've, we've gotten through that rut now. Uh, even though we haven't gotten results here lately, our, our competition levels gotten back to where it needs to be. Uh, and maybe a little bit of bad luck uh, sprinkled in with some of that, but we're, we're, we're better off now than where we were at the start of the year when we were playing, where we were getting wins. We really weren't playing well. We were buoyed kind of by a really good penalty kill and goaltending, uh, which has taken a step back. But as a team, we've, we feel like we've taken a step here recently beating Utica and, and having a good weekend against them, which is the best team in the league. Uh, we feel like we're trending the right direction and, a lot of teams get in the playoffs, but so it's not like the top three, you know, so we, we only got to get in front of a couple teams and we like the progression of a lot of our young players. Awesome. Uh, do you hope to work your way up the ladder, up the coaching ladder and hopes to land a, jo- a head coaching job somewhere? Are you kind of just uh, wanting to take it easy and stay here in your home of Ohio? I, I don't know that you ever put the expectations on yourself to do one thing or the other. Uh, I just kind of let it happen. I think I have a ton to learn. I think if an NHL opportunity came up right now, I honestly wouldn't be ready for it. 
I think there's so much to learn uh, when it comes to leading men and, and knowing and being confident in yourself and getting in front of the room uh, that I just think there's more time, there's more to be learned. Uh, but I, I absolutely, I would love to challenge myself. I love my role now, but you never know what it brings. Uh, so I think I'd remain open to it, but I, I like Ohio. Uh, but at some point, uh, it may have to pull me away from it for a short time to, to pursue it, but you, you never know, and it's tough to forecast that kind of stuff. Last question I have for you. I asked this with a previous guest um, that was also in the NHL back in the 90s. Um, and this is kind of geared toward listeners who may not be all that well-versed in hockey. What makes the game of hockey so unique and special? And what's your favorite part about the game of hockey? Well, I think, first of all, uh, being on ice is interesting. Uh, it's, it's a skill that not everybody has. I think even if you, if you pull you know, people in Ohio, half of them never been on skates. Uh, so it's, it's interesting in its own. I think, but the the inability to win games on your own, I think, makes it really, really, truly a team game. Uh, our best players play a third of the game. They don't even play the majority of the game. It's not it's not like football, where the, the best player touches the ball almost every play, or basketball. Uh, there's games where your best player may not get a shot on goal, but the sum of the parts uh, truly is what puts teams over the top. Uh, so for me, it's the ultimate team game. Um, and when you see that in concert and how fast guys are and how big they are, uh, it's just, it's, it's truly a marvel to see. Awesome. Yeah. Well, listen, it's really been an honor to have you on as a guest on this podcast. Uh, so thank you so much for your time and good luck on the rest of your season in Cleveland. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, Dan, Pat, everything uh, for having me on. Appreciate it guys. Of course, that was Mark Letestu, former Columbus Blue Jacket and Pittsburgh Penguin and current assistant coach for the Cleveland Monsters of the American Hockey League. Thank you for listening to this episode of SPT Overtime. My name is Dan Groen. And I'm Patrick Weber. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at WZIP Sports and tune in to Sports Power Talk every Sunday at 11 on 88.1 WZIP. If you missed the latest Sports Power Talk, you can catch it on the SBT Rewind podcast, so be sure to subscribe to both of our podcasts. Once again, thank you for listening, and go Jackets.